All right, so, so Kevin had did a, he, he'd done a great job of setting the table for Palm Sunday for us, right? By the way, hands. How many people have ever showed up to a church and you got the palm, right, the branch? Yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> like, I'm not against it. If you want to do it, it's cool, I guess. It's just, I remember going the first time as a lost dude and they handed me a palm and they never told me what to do with it. I just, I'm like, thanks? I was like, and then they waved it and kids chanted and stuff. Um, I don't even think they explained what it was or maybe I was just so lost I didn't hear them. That's probably the case. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. But picture the scene. Now, Eli just had, he had taken the time to read uh, chapter 21 of Matthew 1 through 17. It's so good to envision, if you can, what is happening. Now, I get it. There's cultural breakdowns. We don't understand. We didn't have, you know, video cameras then. What's a video camera? A, a, a recorder on your phone back then, right? We, we didn't have any of that. But you can still picture it if you can understand some history and you can understand the book. This is a wild scene. This is a wild scene. I have been to Jerusalem, and these, they know how to party. They know how to celebrate. They know how to, to worship even though many of them still worship in darkness. I mean, but they, they get down, although I was hanging out with some Messianic Jews who trust in Jesus, and they, they had a 24-hour worship service, which is why I never feel bad going five minutes over. Like, I just never feel bad. 24 hours. I made it 18 hours before I tapped out. But they, they really, I mean, it's, it's stunning. It's something like out of Lord of the Rings. They got horns, like, and like people come running, and they are full of excitement. You've got to picture what's happening in this scene as Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. I mean, it, it would have been spectacular. There would have been singing. There would have been chanting. There would have been cheering. There would have been laughing. There would have been celebrating. Why? Because all their dreams were finally coming true. So they thought. So they thought. Not everybody was singing, cheering, and chanting. We know from Luke's gospel in Luke 19, 41, that as Jesus drew near to the city, he wept over Jerusalem. Why? Because although their dreams were coming true, and they were, it would not be in the way that many of them had hoped or expected. It's not... Jesus is not the king they wanted. He's not the king they wanted, right? Like, many failed to recognize him at that point. And so in verse 10 of Matthew 21, it said this, Who is this? Who is this, this Jesus, right? They're, they're all trying to figure it out. And they've all been trying to figure it out ever since Jesus put on flesh and entered human history as a baby. One of Jesus' closest friends, John, said this in John 1.11. He said, Jesus came to his own, meaning the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. Why? Because he's not, he's not the Messiah they wanted. They want a triumphant one. Well, they got one, but it didn't look like they thought. So let me just read a, a, a bunch of questions. I mean, they're trying to figure this out for his three years of ministry, okay? They were trying to figure it out through an avalanche of questions that they would ask. So I'm just going to read through some of them, and you can hear all of them trying to figure it out. And even the week before his death, they still, who is this, right? So, so here you go. They would say, why, why are you speaking like this, Jesus, right? Are you the one who is to come? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What sign can you show us? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Where did this man get all of his wisdom? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Why do you not follow the traditions? Do the authorities think that he's the Messiah? Can Messiah even come from Galilee? Why are you behaving unlawfully? Aren't we right to say that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? By what right do you do these things? Who is the Son of Man? Are you the King of the Jews? What is truth? Who are you? Where are you from? Aren't you the Messiah? Who are you? And that's what they're asking. All along, as Jesus is doing miracles, everybody's trying to figure out, who is this man? Well, i got to tell you, many people, including us, still attempt to answer this question 
detached from the truth of Scripture. That's point one. Many people do. Or maybe say, add a little caveat, or attempt to twist the Scripture until they're comfortable with Jesus. Because we just don't want the king that he is. And, and while it seems that, that the, the crowds are worshiping Jesus, no doubt, by the way, many of them were. Right? The, the big preaching moment many times for preachers on Palm Sunday is those who are waving the branches on this day will be shouting crucify him in a week. That's probably not true. It's a great preaching point, though, and I, I was tempted to do it. But I don't think it's fair to the Bible. Many of these folks probably didn't caravan with him. Right? They, they had just seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the grave. That, many of them do understand. He just healed blind Bartimaeus. Like, his fame has spread. He's coming from this area, and they know him, many of them. Many of them are his disciples, but a lot of them are not. They just really want something out of him, or a different him. Just a different him. They, they want their own personal Jesus to fit their own personal agenda. Right? Been there? Done that? Got a t-shirt? Many of them want a religious leader. Many of them want a political liberator. Many of them just want a healer. Someone just to, to heal me. Right? Or, or maybe, maybe they, they long for like a spiritual pinata that they can just whack with their prayer stick and get goodies. But they, they do not. They do not want the suffering servant. They don't want the man who's going to go to the cross be stretched out, whipped, beat, bloodied, and murdered in front of them. It's not what they're thinking. Because, but here's the deal. Many people want A, Jesus, little J, Jesus, right? To save us from our ideal of hell. Do you know what I mean? Like, many people just fashion a Jesus that are going to, he's going to save us from whatever my idea of hell is. Well, what's your ideal hell? Well, it could be poverty. It could be singleness. It, it could be a thousand different things, and we want that Jesus. But we generally, apart from the Holy Spirit, we never want a Jesus who is the Jesus who rules the world and is the king, the true king. We don't want that Jesus. We want a different one, right? So, so what are some examples of that within our own culture? I'm really glad you asked, Ross. Because I was thinking about it this week as I was hanging out with a few guys, and I have some ideas. Um, let's call the first one Homeboy Jesus. Right? You might have met this guy. Um, generally has a flat bill hat. Right? He's kind of like your hype guy. Like you got an idea, and he's all about it. Right? Go get it, son. Go get it, sis. That's a great idea. Right? Um, he, he really never disagrees with you. Right? And so he's, he's, he's the best. How could you not like homeboy Jesus? How about, how about Time Magazine Jesus? You guys met this one? Uh, I, I can't even believe there's still a thing called a magazine out there. Who buys magazines? Yeah, I know. How do, where do the, where, I don't, yeah, but that can't be enough to keep them in print, right? Like, so I'm at Dollar General, and, and I see Time Magazine Jesus. And he's a historical Jesus, right? But not really, because generally they're like, yeah, I'm not really excited about the Jesus. So like, let's just dress him up. Let's give him a wife, right? And uh, let's, let's make some strange things about the Da Vinci Code. And he's still in a grave somewhere in the Middle East, right? So, so they just throw in the doubts. So you got historical Jesus. No one's really excited about that one anyway. How about social justice Jesus? I want to be careful here. Jesus cares about all injustice all injustice. But this Jesus, he kind of looks like Oprah or Bernie Sanders without mittens, right? <laughs> There's no poverty. Everybody's got cash, right? Just hanging out their pockets. Uh, I mean, you can laugh. It's okay. Everyone gets a car, right? That's, that's the Oprah side, right? Like, there's no racism. There's no poverty. Everybody has the same amount of money. Kind of sounds like socialism. But, but here's the deal. That might sound good, and much of it is. And that's the tricky thing about many of these Jesuses. Many of them are so close to truth. But man, they, they just miscenter. They just miscenter. Jesus cares about all those things, but he cares about eternal suffering most. Doesn't mean he doesn't care about justice. The church ought to care about justice. How about sexual revolution, Jesus? This Jesus says, hey, do whatever you want, be whatever you want, it doesn't matter. I've made you perfect, 
and you could be whatever you say you are, right? It's kind of like the magical kingdom, right? Not the heavenly kingdom. It's kind of like Disney, right? That one's fresh. How about political Jesus? This Jesus comes to make gas prices go down and the American dream go up. America, right? Um, I have like so many more. Let's save those for Tuesday night. One more. One more. Can't miss this one. Spirit sprinkle Jesus or Xanax Jesus, right? He's kind of like your own personal therapist. And anytime you're feeling down, he'll throw you a pithy little saying. You just slap it on your heart and I feel better. Gosh darn it. Right? You've met these guys. Interfaith Jesus, throw all the religions of the world into a blender, hit go, pour it out. What do you got? Whatever you want. Whatever you want. Prosperity Jesus, he'll make you happy. You got cash hanging out your pockets and a big smile and a Bentley in the garage. I, I really do have a lot more. I'm going to quit. I'm not saying these to be rude, by the way. I'm saying these because there's times where we need, man, we need to see. We just need to see because I'll bet you, if you could be honest, there's times where you fashioned a Jesus in your image, even as a saved person that doesn't match the Jesus of the Bible. And we just, we need our thinking aligned. We need our thinking aligned. It was true then, it's true now. All over the world, people can be lifting their hands, they can even be waving palm branches, but not truly bending their knee to the king who is, and who says who he is, right? And, and that's a problem, because worshiping a Jesus made in your own image will not save you. Because that's not who he is. He tells us who he is. That kind of worship is vain. It's, it's worthless. It's, it's deadly. And, and many times, by the way, it is preached from the pulpit shamefully. Because it puts butts in the seat. It's the ABCs of, of church, right? Attendance, buildings, cash. And I don't ever want to offend anyone because you might leave. But I want you to know this. If I offend you outside of the Bible, I do not want to do that. I never want to be needlessly offensive. But if I offend you because of the Word of God, it's not me you have a problem with. It's, it's the Lord. And if you were to leave, I'd miss you because I'd want you to stick around and work through it. But that's okay. Because the church that tries to preach to everyone so that they never leave ends up with a distorted gospel every time. Jesus said this in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The truth, the life, the way. Listen, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Me as defined as who I am. Not who you want me to be, right? John 8, 24 says that unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. That's a bad thing. It's a bad thing to die in your sins because that means you spend eternity in a real place called hell. Unless you believe in the Christ as He says He is. So this matters for your, greatly for your soul and it matters greatly for the, the souls around you as you share the gospel with them, right? If Christians don't get the gospel right, then, then what chance is there that other people will receive him as revealed in the scripture? N not good. Not good, right? Like, many people present different types of Jesuses because actually, they're not actually concerned about the person's soul. What they're concerned about is actually you liking them. So pathetic. I've been there, I know. It's so pathetic to, to present a gospel that is so watered down that it's like it's spirit sprinkle, holy homeboy Jesus. That who wouldn't like this guy? Who wouldn't? Why? Because he gives me everything I want, and I get to live in a mansion all by myself, and all my dreams are revealed and seen and understood, and I don't have to do anything. It costs me nothing. I love him. He's like a care bear, he's got a rainbow shooting out his belly. But that Jesus doesn't save. He doesn't save. Why? Because he, he doesn't exist. My concern is that many people have rejected a Jesus, but have not been confronted with the Christ. You change the gospel, it has no power. 
It's not by your great delivery that people get saved. It's the power of the gospel. That is what brings about salvation. So if you try to water it down and change it, you're ending up, you have, you have, you have words, and some of it might be true, but there's no power. He doesn't accompany that. He accompanies the gospel. And, and we're like, well, what's that? We'll get there, I promise. The thing is, is Jesus is not always the king that we expect or even necessarily want, but he is the king we all need. He's the king we need. For years I tried to get a different one, but he kept confronting me with truth until he said, no, you will worship me as I am or you will not worship me. His kindness, he revealed himself. So the question is, who exactly is Jesus? Is he just a good man? Is he a prophet, a liar, a socialist? Um, who is he? Well, I want to look at this text again. And, and, and I, I want to ask the Lord to reveal himself to you fresh from the word. Because here's the, here's the challenge with a text like this. We can come to it and we can say, oh, I know all about Palm Sunday. And you might know a ton. You might be able to actually get up here and teach it or preach it really well. But if you think like that, you'll miss beauty. You just miss beauty. I remember um, there was a time glasses weren't cool. I mean, like these, right? And going in high school, you got made fun of if you wore glasses. I mean, it was bad. Like they would call you names. I, I don't even want to give them because you might actually use them, right? Some of you. Ugh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, right? But so, so it was bad. And so I had this fear because I was such a people pleaser. I was so insecure as a teen. I just wanted everybody to love me. And I don't think anyone did. And so I never wanted to get glasses. And I knew every year they'd bring me into the nurse's office and they would say, now read the thing, right? And there's the chart. What's the first letter? Good job, you remember. Well, I could see that one, and I could see the next row, and I could maybe see the next row, but I knew I had to get down two more rows unless I was going to get glasses, right? So what did I do? I went into the nurse's office, and I wrote them on a piece of paper, and I memorized them. I just memorized them. It wasn't hard. It's, only, it's, it's two lines. I mean, I had it down, baby. I would go in there, and she's like, cover up your eyes. Okay, so I do the thing, E, boom, boom, boom. Do I still remember them? I don't. But I could nail it. And she's like, your eyes are great. And I'm like, awesome. So I wondered why I really struggled to actually hit a baseball for a while. It's because my eyes weren't great. I just memorized the chart. And then when I went to get my driver's license, they didn't have the same chart. They said, stick your face in this. So I stuck my face in that. And they're like, read this, do this. And I'm like, uh. They're like, how have you gotten through so many years with your eyeballs? And I said, I told them. And they're like, they laughed. They thought that was genius. They're like, well, you can use that for good, but we're nervous about you. And so <laughs> I, I had to get glasses now if I wanted to drive, right? So I go and I tell my mom. And she's like, I thought your eyes were good. I'm like, yeah. So I finally, I confessed it to my mom. My mom was so, yeah, she didn't care. And she's like, well, we've got to get glasses now. And they were dorky as I always. I mean, now they make cool glasses. But here's the deal. If you're not careful, you will come to Scripture like that. I know what this says. I've read it before. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. L let the eye exam of the word read you. Come to the word. Let it search you. And see what you might find out. Right? So, let's, let's go through the text again. I'm going to narrate a little bit. We've already read it. And then we're going to jump into the rest of this sermon. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, they and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them. Bring them to me. By the way, what's up with the donkey? Right? Like, what's up, what's up with the donkey? If you're attempting to take over as the king, you don't come riding in on a hoopty. Right? Do you even know what a hoopty is? I don't know. What's a junky car nowadays? Like, what's got more money in the sound system, and then when it shakes, it rattles. Like, you're not coming in and, like, saying, I'm taking over the city of Greensburg with that, right? Maybe a Hummer, something like that. I don't know. And you got, like, an entourage. But you're not coming in on a donkey. But Jesus, by the way, is not the first one to come in. Or maybe, maybe a hoopty doesn't work. Electric scooter. Imagine trying to take over a city riding in on an electric scooter. <laughs> Okay, that worked. Okay, because I saw the other one fell flat. But Jesus comes riding in on a donkey and, and her mama, right? Uh, a colt and the mama. 
But he's not, he's not the first one who did that, by the way. Solomon did this in 1 Kings. So what's interesting about this is kings would only come in on a donkey when they were coming to bring peace. Mm. Jeez, they thought he's coming to bring war. Jesus is like, I got a different plan. I'm coming to bring peace. Oh, what kind of peace? We'll get there. Verse 3 says, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. You see God's sovereignty here? Just go get, to, go get the donkeys. Well, what, what, I can't just take donkeys. If anyone says anything, just say the Lord needs them. I've already prepared this before eternity. It's going to happen. They got it. Oh, okay, Jesus. By the way, let's see if this works. I need a car. Go get me one. Okay, no. Okay, because I don't have power like that. Jesus has power. See this, right? Okay, so this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. By the way, this comes from Zechariah um, 9, 9 through 11. And I'm going to read it to you. And the reason I wasn't actually going to read it to you, I just put a little note here in case I wanted to change my mind, and I did. And the reason I did is because of the song we just sung. Listen to the original prophecy 500 years before Jesus actually comes and fulfills it. So Zechariah 9, 9 through 11 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. Now listen, and he shall speak peace to the nations. To the, to the nations, S, plural, to all the world. His rule shall be from sea to sea. From sea to sea. He's the king of everyone, not just Israel. And they, they missed it. And I'm not saying that like they missed it. We would have missed it too. And from the river to the ends of the earth, as for you also because of the blood of my covenant. Notice blood. Notice salvation. Notice peace. Notice to the ends of the earth. Notice nations. With you I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Jesus came to bring peace. How? Great question. Let's continue. Verse 6 from Matthew 21. I know we just took a little hiatus from it. That's okay. Hang in there. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their, ro- their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him and followed him, shouting, Hosanna, which just means save, right? To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. I'm not even going to talk about that today. Keep coming here. We'll tackle it when we get to Luke, starting in the fall. He said to them, it is written, my house, right? This temple shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to him, them, yes, have you never read? (laughs) By the way, the irony of that statement. All they did was read. They devoted their life to reading the scripture. Have have you never read? (sighs) Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, You have prepared praise. He's quoting a text. We'll get to that. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Okay. Skip that. Skip that. All right. Everyone's longing for the king of Israel to come and set up his kingdom and overtake Rome. Right? Um, that's what they expected. They expected the Lord of glory to come in on a war horse and just take over. Now, that's not how he came in. He came in on 
a donkey. But here's the deal. The reason is because everyone on Palm Sunday would have expected that mighty conquering king to come on a war horse and, and just squish Rome like, like a grape between his toes. But, but here's the thing. What everybody missed, and we would have missed too, apart from the, the grace of God revealing it to us, is he was coming to actually be squashed like a grape. Why? Because the real enemy wasn't Rome. The real enemy was Satan, sin, and death. And it, and it required a sacrifice. By the way, this was beginning Passover. He's the true lamb. He's coming to lay down his life as the sacrifice. So in, instead of what they expected, what they got is they got a king who came in humility. He came willingly to take upon flesh, to live the life that we can never live, to die the death upon a cross in a brutal way that we deserve to die, to absorb the wrath of God that was for sinners so that sinners might receive him by faith and have eternal life when he resurrects on Easter Sunday. This is the king we need. That's Jesus. So, so how does, okay, that answers that, but let's, let's break it down a little bit more. Who is Jesus? Well, I think you see three presented here in the text that I don't think are all that hard to find. One, maybe, maybe a little bit, but I think you'll be able to see it. In the Old Testament, there were three primary offices laid out in the Bible, in the Old Testament. You had prophet, priest, and king, okay? So, so what we see here is Jesus is actually the perfect prophet. He is the perfect prophet, right? Look at verse 11. This is the prophet Jesus, of, from Nazareth, of Galilee, right? You see that? Well, so in the Old Testament, a, a prophet was tasked with proclaiming the word of God to God's people. Many times they were hated, beat, stoned, rejected, killed because they don't like God's word. Why? Because it confronts them in their sinfulness. But Jesus, listen, Jesus is the perfect prophet who came full of compassion, full of grace, but full of truth. He was full of grace and full of truth. And he proclaimed the word of God courageously to all the Jewish leaders and all who would listen to him as, get this, the word of God. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Jesus was a confrontational preacher. No, not my Jesus. Well, that's not the Jesus in the Bible. My Jesus is nice and he has spirit sprinkles and he just makes everyone happy. Not the Jesus of the Bible. Many times he would go and he would bring an abrasive message, not to be abrasive, but to bring about sight, awareness, to put a stone in your shoe so that you walked away and you were uncomfortable with him so that you might repent of your sin. Because he loves. And his love sometimes looks tough, but he loves, right? He was, he was a confrontational preacher. He would confront sin, folly, rebellion. He commanded repentance. He commanded it. He cast out demons. He never shied away from the truth because he is truth, right? Here's one. Let's just give you one text. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says this. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, by the way, we're in the last days. Ever since the resurrection and the ascension, we are in the last days till Jesus returns, right? If you want to see that, look at Acts chapter 4. In the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, okay, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So, so get this, Jesus still speaks to us today through the living word of God, through the living word of God, as he graciously shows us our sin, power of the Holy Spirit as we read the Word of God, reveals, right? He reveals more and more of His beauty to us so that we might adore Him, that we might long for Him, that we might worship and embrace Him as He is. He changes us. He gives us this truth so that we might live a life of repentance. Now, let me explain that real quick. Repentance is a one-time thing that happens at salvation, but then the rest of our lives is aligning ourselves with the truth of the Word. So you will still live a life of repentance and faith, coming to the Word, realizing I I'm out of step with the word of God. I must change my mind and align myself with that truth because that's the way to life, right? And so, so he still speaks to us this way. By the way, repentance and faith leads to real joy, real happiness, real life. Why? Because the king didn't come to mess up your life. He came, up, he came that you might have life abundantly in him, which brings about joy. We got to get over the fact you, you and I make horrible gods, 
Horrible gods. You just think, well, if, if I was ruling things, you might not say it that way. This is what it would look like. But you're not ruling things. You don't even do a good job of ruling your life, probably. We need a king to rule over us. But remember who this king is. He's humble. He's willing to die for you. He loves you. He intercedes for you. This prophet is coming to speak words of life to you. Why? Because he wants you to know his beauty. So that you might worship him. So that you might glorify him with all your life. Okay? So Jesus is the perfect prophet. But he's also the perfect priest. Now, this is where I think you see a shadow of it, right? In verses 12 through 15 as he enters the temple. Because what he's doing, he's coming to cleanse the temple from all of its ugliness that it had become because that was the place of worship. But just like he told the woman at the well in John 4, there is coming an hour where it's not on this mountain and it's not in Jerusalem you're going to worship me. My Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and truth. You will be the temple. You will be the place I dwell. So we see this priest well, what was a priest in the Old Testament? A priest in the Old Testament would serve essentially as a mediator between God and between man and offer sacrifices, right? And, and they'd be covered in blood. I mean, I'm not going to go into all the gore and the detail, but let, let me just say this. Jesus is the one who shed his blood. Big difference. Big difference. Because that priest in the Old Testament needed a Savior. Jesus is the Savior, right? Uh, I'll give you one text for that. First Timothy 2, through, uh, 2 5 says this. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I just told you. I said one text. I'm going to give you two. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25 says this. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds the priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Right? So, so Jesus is the perfect priest. What I'm honing in on is I want you to see Christ as who he is, okay? Who he says he is. So Jesus, he makes proper worship possible, by constantly interceding for us, by constantly standing in the gap between God the Father and sinful humanity, right? He's always making the way possible to enjoy him, to worship him until Jesus returns and makes us perfect as we are in the courtroom of heaven, although not yet, right? So, so we see that he lives as high priest to serve us. <laughs> it's crazy to think about. He lives to serve us, to give us grace, to give us mercy, to give us anything that we might need to enjoy life with God. He gives us grace. He gives us himself. We, then, okay, the third office. Jesus is the perfect king. And I think this is the one that's most explicit in the text, obviously. But I do think you see the others. And we see this primarily in verses 1 through 11. When, when Jerusalem shouts Hosanna to the son of David. Well, in the Old Testament, I mean, we don't understand king, but you can kind of get it, right? It's, it's, let's say it's president on steroids, right? I think that's fair. He rules. He makes sure that his kingdom's cared for. He makes sure that they're protected, that they have everything they need. And, and there were evil kings, like they were horrible. They didn't care about any of that, and they were oppressive and all these different things. But, but here's the deal. Even King... King David was the king, man. They all longed for that day because it was prosperity. Everything was awesome, right? But King David and all the rest, even though there were good kings, failed horrifically. Jesus did not. Jesus will not. He's the perfect king, and he was promised to be so. Uh, in Luke 1, 32 through 33, it says this, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Listen, Holy Week, the cross, the resurrection, it, it is the moment where the Lord's prayer is answered. Your kingdom come, your will be done, as it is here on earth, it will be in heaven as it is in heaven it will be on earth he came to answer the prayer he's the king he's the king jesus is the king period he rules over angels he rules over demons 
He rules over Christians. He rules over non-Christians. He rules over men. He rules over women. He rules over rich. He rules over poor. He rules over young. He rules over old, Republicans, Democrats, simple, wise, living, and dead. Jesus is, capital K, King. King. So who is this? Well, he's the priest. He's the prophet. He's the king. Still doesn't get to the heart of who he is. Not, not really. So who is he? Let's look at verses 15 and 16 again of Matthew 21. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Boy, these guys are crusty, right? Like, he's healing people. They saw all the wonderful things he did. Right? They're indignant. They're angry. They're mad. Why? That's a great question. That's a great question. By the way, simple little tip. When you read the Bible, ask more questions than you think you know. Why are they indignant? Well, they said to him, do you hear what these, you can almost hear, punk kids are saying? Do you not hear them, Jesus? You better correct them. And what's Jesus say? Yes. I hear them. Have you never read? Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Now, maybe you don't understand why that picked a major fight, but let me explain to you why. Jesus understands right away the religious leaders and why they're indignant. Because essentially they're saying, these children are calling you God. This is a problem. Tell them to stop it. It's blasphemy. If it weren't true. But Jesus, he just has a drop the mic moment. He says, hey, have you never read? Let me, let me quote Psalm 8 to you, bud. I'm gonna, he, he quotes verse 2. I'm going to include verse 1 because I think that gets at the heart of it. He says this. Psalm 8, 1 through 2 says, Our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. <laughs> oh, Lord, our Lord. God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Listen, Jesus is saying that these children, their celebration, their praise, by the way, is appropriate. Not only is it appropriate, it was divinely inspired after all because God had prepared praise for himself. Yeah, we agree. You see where he's at? Out of the mouths of babies and infants. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, they see. They know who I am. You don't see. You should be joining the kids. And you're not. You think you know. You do not know. They're saying you're God. Huh? I am. That's what he's been saying for three years to them. But you think you know, you don't know. They see. You want a different king? I'll not be the king you want me to be. I am who I say I am. And oh, I am. That's what he's saying. This, By the way, they get it. It has been revealed to children. The claim infuriated religious leaders because Jesus was saying that he is, that he was, and that he always will be God. And by the way, so who is this? Jesus is God. We worship one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit. Jesus is one person of the triune God. He has two natures, fully divine, always existed, forever and always, and fully human. And he put on flesh. He added humanity. He came to earth to die. To die. That was his mission. To die. To die. Why? Because you and I deserve death. And he says, but I'll, I'll receive it. This is how good our king is. Other kings send everyone into battle to die for them. Jesus says, no, I'll take their death. Why would you not worship them? Why would you not adore them? Why would you not love them? I'll tell you why. Because if that's where you're at, you don't see him. 
And I pray every week as I walk here that you might see them. Because, oh, if you see them, if you see them, you just do this. Whatever you want, King. You've given me you. What, else, what more could I want? Suffering comes as temporary. Your life's a mist. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. But I have eternity with you. Oh, yes. Oh, I'll take that, King. And if, you, if you've seen this, King, for who he is, it's because the Lord of glory has given you grace to see. And we'll pray that he'll give more. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is God. This is why he was ultimately killed. It was not because he was healing the sick. It was not because he loved the outcast. It was not because he fed the hungry. It's not even because he didn't fit the mold of the religious leaders of that time. It's because Jesus openly, publicly, repeatedly, unapologetically showed and said, I am God. And that got him killed. So let me ask you, do you believe in this Jesus? This Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. This is the question that's being confronted with you today. You must deal with Jesus. Everybody's going to worship Jesus, period. You will, you will bend your knee. You will proclaim and confess that Jesus is the King of Kings, that he is the Lord of Lords. You will magnify his grace or you will magnify him in his perfect, righteous wrath. Oh, but I want you to magnify him in his saving grace. Why? Because that's what he wants. He longs to save. He came to save. He came to seek and save the lost. He delights to save. He loves when sinners come home and receive grace and mercy and forgiveness. He says, come to me all who are weak and weary and tired of trying to save yourself and worship a king that doesn't exist. Receive me. Oh, who? The humble servant who washes away the sins of sinners because he is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world by dying in your place. Will you worship this king? C.S. Lewis once said this. He said there's three possible responses Jesus gave or he, he said that you could give for Jesus. One, Jesus was a lunatic. Two, Jesus was a liar. Or three, Jesus is Lord. Listen to the quote. He says, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense that his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Oh, man, I pray you worship him. I pray you know him. To know and to be known by Jesus is the greatest joy that this world has to offer. So what do we do with this? Well, we hurry up because I'm almost out of time. Point three, and we'll go quick, I promise. The truth of who Jesus is demands a response. Will you worship Jesus as revealed in the scripture or some figment of your imagination? See, see here's the deal. The crowd did not in the end, want Jesus to rule over them in the way that he had sovereignly designed, which made their praise hollow. And to the onlookers, they might have said, these guys are amazing, look. But if we can be honest, we do that. We have pet sins, things that we're unwilling to sacrifice, things that we're, we're not willing to worship him in the way that he says. We, we can change him, we can distort him. Let's not do that. Let's come to the word of God and be transformed. Let's, let's not have our, our minds conform to the pattern of the world and all that's flooding you 24-7. You don't even realize. Let's come to the truth of God's word and see, to see him for who he is, right? To worship him for who he says he is. What is it that you need to open your hands to in glad submission to this lowly king? 
what is it that you're saying? I, I, I believe in Jesus, but it's this Jesus. Is it, is it a different Jesus? Is it? If it is, may today be the day that he gives you the grace to just say, no, I, I want you for who you say you are. And if I have a different version of you, change my mind. Help me see. Help me worship you in spirit and in truth. Why? Because right now we live in a season of pardon. The king offers amnesty to you all. He offers pardon to you. Right now is the time to come and to receive grace and forgiveness from this humble king. Why? Well, because we know from Revelation 19, 11 through 16, there will come a day he will return. And second advent, right? And he's not coming on a donkey this time. He's not. And I don't say that to scare you. But I do want to confront you with the truth of God's word. And, and by the way, if you felt scared, that would, there'd be worse things. To feel nothing scarier than to feel scared. Because there's times where God will allow you to feel the, the magnitude of what is to cause you to run to the one who's come to save you from what I'm about to read. Right? You got to get this. God sent his son to save you from himself. And that might hit you in a, in a way you've never thought about it. Oh, he, he, he's, he's saving us from Satan, sin, and death. Yeah, death in a real place called hell. And I've heard people say, well, hell, hell is, you know, it's ACDC's down there, and they're like, ha, wait, right? Like, I won't sing it, and, and they're rocking out, and it's a party with my buddies, and I don't know, he's probably in a red jumpsuit, got horns and a pitchfork. But here's what I know. God's not there. God's not there. And some people think, that's my idea of heaven. I don't have a God telling me what to do. But can I just tell you, that's so wrong to think of hell in that way. Because I want you to know that God is absolutely present in his act of wrath forever in hell. He's not in hell. What you experience in hell it's not that God's not there, but there is no more mercy and there is no more grace. And you and I can't imagine it. And if you're in Christ today, you ought to praise God for saving you from the wrath of God. Because that's why he came, was to save you from his fury. Because if he did not come, God would not be just. And if God is not just, he is not God. He's not God. So he came, and he said, instead of them receiving my wrath, which they deserve, I'll take it. I'll receive it. It's this, this beautiful substitution. So come Thursday, hear more about that. We have a Monday, Thursday service. You can also come to Indiana with my family. We're going to go worship Jesus at a place called Saving Grace, where you got seven last words of Jesus, seven minutes, seven preachers. They like seven. It's a good Bible word, right? Um, and then come Easter Sunday and rejoice in the fact that Jesus got up from the grave. We should not be a gloomy people as Christians, right? Like, we should not be a gloomy people. Why? Because the king delights to save. And right now, until he returns, boy, that's open for everybody. It's just open for everybody. So we should be so bold, so courageous, so compassionate, so kind, so loving to tell people the truth of God's word and who he is and who he says he is and then give them the response, the opportunity to respond to the Jesus of who he says he is, not who you distort him to be because you actually like your comfort more than you love that person. Don't do that. Don't change the word of God so that you can sound cool or hip. You're not cool or hip, really. Let's be real. I mean, some of you are. It's not cool to change the word of God. Because you're, you're not representing your king. And as Christians, we ought to be way more concerned about representing our king than sounding narrow-minded. Because I want you to know, and I've said it before, the gospel is the most inclusive message ever. Everyone, come to me. Everyone. Come to me, repent of your sins, trust in me. I am the way, the truth, the life. But it is the most exclusive message ever because it's only through me that you will be saved and you can't change me. I say who I am. And the way forward and the way through is repentance and faith. Okay? 
So what's it look like when he returns? Revelation 19, 11 through 16 is where we end. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, not a donkey. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, or crowns you could say. And he has the name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. By the way, I don't think you're going to see Jesus. Like a, I always thought like when I read it, like, well, that's crazy. Right? He's got a sword hanging out of his mouth. That's pretty awesome. Um, it's the Word of God which strikes down all the lies. Strikes down all the, you don't get to speak anymore. I speak, and this is true, and it slices you. You're done, right? And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has written the name of this, King, capital K, of Kings, little K, Lord, capital L, of Lords. Jesus is God. Family, friends, those who are not yet convinced of the gospel, abandon your allegiance to sin and self. It's a pathway to destruction. Success and money and family and physical pleasure and safety and security or comfort or any other Jesus you worship at, turn from and worship the one true king who's revealed himself through the person and the work of Christ and enjoy him and sing to him and and be glad to lay down your life for this king who laid his life down to save you. He's worthy. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for the word of God which is living and active. Oh, and it's so perfectly true. Lord, I ask that you would give us sight to see you as we come to your word. We, none of us see you perfectly clear, Lord. There will be a day that our faith will become sight and we will see you perfectly clear. But until that day, I ask that you would just continue to kindly correct our understanding of you until we can understand you more fully, full of grace, full of truth, worship you in spirit and truth by your grace. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do this for the people of God. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's just not convinced of the gospel, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would see your kindness, your compassion, your love as you stand, as as you rise from the grave, triumphant, defeating Satan, sin, and death, and making a way to have life with God now and forevermore so that you will return and make all things new and we can enjoy you for eternity. God, I pray that you would just reveal the love of God to them this morning and that they might know that they they are seen and it's time to come home and it's time to receive Christ as their Savior and that they might worship you and enjoy you forever. We ask in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.